0: Yes, we are Flesh and Blood, this is Tell Me Your Story, I am Richard Dugan, and you are listening to New Paradigms for a New World, and we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true, and we are so glad that you are with us today to talk today with our very special guest on a conversation that uh, I think you're going to enjoy we are going to be talking with our special guest today. Her name is Karen Hurick, and she is, a, the, uh, she is a psychology of soul and paranormal author. She's the author thereof, of psychology, the psychology of soul and paranormal, developing a rich appreciation for life through spiritual experience. Karen, I want to thank you so much for being with us here on the program. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Thank you for having me. You, you, uh, you're rather prolific in that respect. Uh, you've also you've written a couple of other books as well. It looks like also. Am I correct? Uh, if I'm, it, and if I'm looking at this wrong, please uh, correct me. I'm, I'm seeing a children's book here.
1: Yes, Grandma. What is a soul? Ah, I
0: like that for kids. And then yeah. you're not finished yet. I could have sworn yes. I was finished. Doggone it. <laughs>
1: well maybe you're the exception
0: I don't think so no I don't think so Tim I mean Karen (laughs) (laughs) um we are constantly talking about our immortality on this program we are immortal not the physical body though right that which animates it there was a documentary I don't know if you've seen it or not or you're aware there was a documentary on death And they got the permission of people who were terminal. They wanted to put them on this scale at the time of their passing. And they wanted to see if there was a change specifically in their weight. And when the person passed, the moment they were able to determine that this person was no longer breathing, there was no brain activity, etc., etc., the weight changed. It was actually, I think it was like I don't know, maybe a quarter or an eighth of a pound, if that. But there was a decrease. And someone said to me, well, yeah, I mean, you've got the fluids that are leaving us. No, 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 no. This was like an autopsy table. Okay? So nothing was escaping. Even if fluids left the body, they're still on the table. And I thought, really? You mean to tell me the soul has weight? Wow, that's pretty interesting. Um. So that takes us to this question for you to start with. And it's usually the one that most people will ask you. What is the soul and or where is the soul of Richard, of Karen, of anybody?
1: Okay. Well, um, let's see. When you're conceived, an atom is placed in um, utero. And that is uh, the beginning of the spiritual body that holds the soul. And the only purpose of the spiritual body is to take the soul to the other side when we so-called die, uh, because the soul is immortal and, you know, has to go back up to the fourth dimension. Um, So anyway, as you're uh, physically growing, uh, your physical body is growing around this etheric body, uh, started with an atom. And then the soul, uh, from what I have researched, is housed in your solar plexus in your body, in this etheric body. And, and it was there, as I said, just to take, at you know, at the time of your passing, your soul um, to the other side. But now we have near-death people since 1975 when Raymond Moody wrote his book, you know, Life After Life, um, and called it a near-death because people left and came back. Um, and we have out-of-body experiencers. So people are now leaving their physical body and uh, being in this etheric body um, out in the ethers. Um, some of them have a nice spiritual experience where they see their grandmother or their loved ones or flowers or music or beautiful things, and others just go out and come back so so I hope that helps you about where the soul is well
0: <clears throat> indeed it, it, it at least it's a starting place for some of us. The yeah. other aspect is the fear of death um. I have come to the understanding, Karen, that, and I am not afraid, if today's my day, which I hope it isn't, but if it is, the only reason I say I hope it isn't is because there's still a lot more I want to do. <clears throat> but if it is, I'm good with that. My uh, eldest sister passed away in March of uh, 2022, at the end. And I wasn't sad. I well, I was a little sad. I didn't cry. Uh, because I thought, no, she's just, now she's everywhere. I mean, that's the way I look at it. Now she's everywhere. I can talk to her. may not be able to hear her in the same way that I used to and converse and so forth. Um, And it wasn't until the memorial a month later, uh, that's when I cried at the memorial. Um, But I end this program and every program since uh, with Jeanette, who is my sister. I'm still listening. Because I heard her voice in my head shortly after her passing. Right. Um, But I've got people who say, I'm afraid. You know, how do you know? How do you know that, that there's something after this? And I say, well, I'll be honest with you. I don't. But what I believe, what I believe is through logic, sounds strange, that there has to be something more after this because... If there isn't, this life makes no sense. And there's something inside of me, and I want to talk about intuition, that tells me that my life has meaning. If my life has meaning, then this life has meaning, which means that it doesn't make any sense that this is it. And then when the lights are out. However, if it is the lights are out, I'll never know. (laughs) Right. How do you... Talk to people about that who might be afraid of their mortality. They're they're just anxious like you wouldn't believe. Don't like going to funerals and all this kind of stuff, whatever it is. Uh, How do do you talk to people about this?
1: Well, um, on the cover of my book, The Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal, there is a picture of a body with the vagus nerve. Now, that's the 10th and longest nerve in your body. It starts out at the top of your head goes down your head around your neck, touches your amygdala, which is fight, flight, or frozen, then goes down your spinal column into your heart and into your stomach. Now, Darwin in the 1700s said this was the pneumogastric nerve and um, that it triggered the stomach when you, well, when you had a trigger about fear, um, your stomach would tell your brain, danger, danger, and your heart rate would go up. And then there was a gentleman, Dr. Porges, and I think must be now five to 10 years. Uh, he studied the vagus nerve for 40 years. And um, <clears throat> he doesn't talk about spirituality at all. But what I believe is that the vagus is the highway uh, in your physical body that your etheric body goes up and then goes out the top of your head with your top chakra. And then you have a silver cord that is also invisible, but attached to the vagus nerve. So you'd have to be clairvoyant to see this process. And then you're out there, you know, flying around, and um, and then sometimes you come back, or if the silver cord is cut, then you die. Hmm. Now, how do I help them? In fact, I just had somebody this week, and um, he was having a panic attack when people were talking about dying. He had like three people who just lost someone and um, he, he just went home and had a panic attack. And so I said, OK, so I have this huge poster of the vagus. And I um, explained that the reason I, I wanted to learn about that in the beginning was that it helped people with panic and PTSD and anxiety. So because if you breathe, have a longer out breath with the vagus nerve, uh, it calms it down. So you breathe out to the count of four, breathe into the count of four and then breathe out as, as far as you can breathe out. And that keep, keeps you calm. We're not used to breathing like that. Mm-hmm. So if you just keep doing that, you can calm yourself down in panic or in anxiety. So I, I suggested that he do this. And then also, um, you need to really think about what's going to happen to you when you die. Because it sounds to me like you're afraid of that. Um, okay, he agreed with that. So um, there is a, I don't know if you're familiar with, there's a Netflix special called Surviving Death. And it has five one-hour shows. And the first hour is on near-death experiences. And I would recommend that first hour to anybody. Um, And uh, PhDs have had these near-death experiences. What I wanna do is is talk to everybody about other people are having them too. But guess what, if you have a near-death, it takes you about seven years before you tell anybody. And you walk around with this fear that you're crazy. so
0: I don't know. I hope I answered your question. No, that's that's wonderful. Um, I, I just find it interesting that it seems as though our religious institutions especially have done us a great disservice. Because yeah. ostensibly they have either, you can call it, withheld or they have lied to us about the realities. Because... They don't even know. I mean, yes, we've got these writings, the ancient wisdom teachings, as I like to call them, from a wide variety of different philosophies yes. uh, that tell us, that, that give us that insight. But they don't. For example, reincarnation. If you go back to some of the original writings, especially of what, is, what has been compiled as the Bible, reincarnation, it's, it's, a, it's a reality. In that day, they were talking about this and even before uh, and as well as in other philosophies. Uh, and, and of course I then I, I, as far as death is concerned, you know, it says in the, in one of the epistles, Peter says, uh, I think it was Peter who said it is appointed to every man wants to die. And then the judgment, I said, okay, then explain to me, Lazarus, either it was the rule or it wasn't, or Lazarus was not dead. And yeah, he the
1: could people have been in a coma.
0: Well, he could have been in a coma, but we don't know because the word has been used dead. I mean, he was dead. There was death, and yeah. Jesus raised him from the dead.
1: Yes.
0: Now uh, you know you and I. We could we could go on and on about this, but that's the kind of information, or maybe a, a better phrase, <laughs> lack of information, uh, that that we've been dealing with for centuries, uh, millennia, if you will. Um, and then, of course, the whole aspect of the soul. Uh, what can you tell? Do you deal at all in where the soul goes and what the soul experiences? or Is this primarily telling us, hey, we we have a soul and this is this is these are my findings.
1: Well, yeah, I do have I teach webinars um, on on the Internet for other therapists Um, so that people can come and be validated with these um, experiences. Mm -hmm. And I have one called, where do they go and are they okay? Um, So some of the things that we know, there there was a Dr. Leadbeater, which is a weird name, but that was his name. I am (laughs) early 1900s. And he had a hundred very um, professional meditators, excuse me. And he got them all together and said he wanted them to all meditate about where you go when you, when you die, so-called die. And they did. And they they told him that um, the first layer of the etheric uh, world up there is just like this world. There's um, houses and grass and flowers and all kinds of everything we have, except it's more brilliant. And um, that's why some people, because of their religious training, when they're there, they don't believe they've died. Because it Mm -hmm. kind of looks the same. Um, they say within three days, within the first three days of your death, that you have a life review and you get to see a movie, uh, like a movie of your life from the time you were born till the day you died. And you can review that. And um, and some people have come, you know, spirits have, have talked through mediums and said what their life review is like. There's no judgment in that life review by anybody over there, any angel or guide or anything. It's all for you to see. Uh, because the life review comes to you from the perspective of the other people, how you treated them. So I would think some of that could be pretty humbling to all of us. Um, And then, you know, perhaps that would help you have a better life if you decide or they decide that you're going to come back. Hmm. Um, So it's not so scary. It's all positive. There's no bad over there. It's all good. And um, it's good and bad here on earth. Um, and there's angels and spiritual guides. And I think Leadbeater said there are seven layers of the etheric world or heaven, as he called it. And so I don't understand what each level means, but eventually when you get to the top level, you can no longer as a spirit, come back to the first level and talk to anybody on earth or, you know, send thoughts. Hmm.
0: That's interesting.
1: Are you familiar with life between lives? Life between your lives, yes.
0: Yeah, Dr. Newton, right?
1: That's a great book.
0: Yeah, I've, as a matter of fact, I've read several of his books on the case studies, and I've been through that uh, hypnosis therapy here locally oh, in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it was fascinating. I gotta tell you, as a matter of fact, uh, there are times when I wish I could go back to the life before this one. It was, it was, uh, it was quite nice. All in all, um, not any less you know uh, filled with drama and so forth but it was it was certainly uh, a great place to be is it from your perspective and I, again I don't know if this is a realm that you get into uh, in terms of reincarnation okay. I've heard it said that we live um, what do I want to say we live like a 20 or thirty thousand we have those of us who are here right now I guess the eight billion plus, have lived twenty to thirty thousand lives already. Are, are you know um, anything about that, or or what can you tell me about your perspective on
1: reincarnation in terms of the soul? Well, let's see. Um, I don't know about those figures at all. I haven't ever read those. Okay. Um, but I believe yes that. We can we do have other lives, mainly because I did some um, past life therapy years ago with Roger Woolger. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was an English writer. And he was wonderful. He, he gave all these workshops and he put you in a meditative state. And I had a past life um, recall of being a man. And it was very interesting to me. Um, and I was on this horse coming home and I couldn't wait to see my wife. And um, and then there she is. The door opens, and you can see her standing in the in the doorway, and the fire in the background, and all that. And I just loved her so much, and so I was so glad to be home. And um, then w- and other pieces of of this was that we had a son. I was not too fond of the kid, and I thought she, <laughs> I thought that she babied him too much, and also he, you know, I wanted to be with her. And then I died first in that life, and then I just hovered over her, waiting for her to join me. So, and oh, I know, I kissed her. When I got off the horse, I kissed her. And I thought, no wonder men like to kiss us. She's so soft. Mm. Mm -hmm. But it really gave me empathy for a guy Uh, for my male clients after that um, with the children and you know so so many men say well once we have the kids she doesn't pay attention to me Um, so it was kind of interesting I have had other glimpses into my past lives Um, uh, I have a lot of relatives the Herrick name is from England Um, and my father was an alcoholic I was raised in an alcoholic home and he used to call my mother the Duchess and I thought what a weird name you know Anyway, so one day I asked him, how come you call her that? He says, I don't know, but that's the only name that, you know, that I have when I think about her is the Duchess. So then I'm in England and I'm at this Herrick house that is a beautiful educational center now because nobody can afford to heat it. And it's just <laughs> gorgeous and all of this history. And um, we go upstairs and we're going through the bedrooms and, and they say, well, this is the Duchess's bedroom. So I said, what? What duchess? Well, um, the duchess was the lady who was the mother. Now I have to, of Queen Jane, who was only queen for 11 days. Her father put her on the throne before Henry VIII's daughter, Mary, came. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he just used her and tried to get, you know, her uh, picked as the queen. And she died. And after that, the father, of course, Mary sent the father to the tower, and he was eventually killed because he tried another uprising. He wasn't very smart, and um, and the Duchess had to go somewhere, so she came to this house. And there was Sir William Herrick, who was um, he was a jeweler and banker for Queen Elizabeth the First, um, and before that, he you know he had quite a nice life as a jeweler. And um, very young, he went to Turkey. And um, he and um, a committee of five men, one who was his future um, father-in-law determined what the um, um, trade agreement would be between Turkey and England. And it's still in effect today, I think. Uh, So then he came back to England and married, you know, this lady and had eight children. So that was the house I was visiting that was on the original grounds of the first house that he built. So I thought, now, isn't that interesting? That I had a duchess, they had a duchess, so and we're supposed to come from the same group, right? And that's sometimes I would like a new group. <laughs> how <do you> get, <laughs> so how do you get a new group? I don't know. But anyway, so if I had that and my mother was um, you know, married to the gentleman that, you know, put his daughter on the on the uh throne, um, then what, what was my father? And then she married the groomsman of the Herrick estate. So the guy in charge of horses. Mm. So then Queen Mary didn't bother with her because if she's married a groomsman, she's gone so low that she's no problem anymore. Um, mm. So I love history for all that, you know, all that reason about reincarnation. Um, so I have had flashes.
0: Mm. Very interesting. Karen Herrick is my guest and Karik, Karen E. Herrick is the website, all right, that's dot com. We will be linked to her website. She's the author of Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal, Developing a Richer Appreciation for Life Through Spiritual Experience, and this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is really a pleasure to have uh, uh, Karen Hurick here with us here on the program uh, to talk about uh, so many different aspects of this. Paranormal is not something that I've really gotten involved in on this program, even though we've talked about the soul and the spirit. So I guess I'm actually uh, misstating it that I've talked about the paranormal because that's where the soul exists in that realm of the paranormal, right? Yes, that's right. Very interesting stuff. You've been uh, uh, what what was the what was the catalyst, if you will, for your interest in this this very I'm going to say very large realm because this covers this covers a lot of
1: ground. Yeah, it does. Um, Let's see the catalyst. um, Well, uh, I was married and divorced an alcoholic. And I always said, watching my mother, if I ever marry an alcoholic, I was like 11 years old, I'm not going to (laughs) stay. And so I tried and tried. And then after 10, 11 years, I left and got a divorce. And then I was finishing my college degree. And then I went and got my master's at Rutgers University with a minor in alcohol studies. And um, then eventually I had a lot of post conferences. and, And someone said, talked about Carl Jung. And in your university studies, you don't really hear about Carl Jung. Maybe six weeks, and you certainly don't hear that his mother was a psychic, and that um, his fa- his grandfather, ha- with his second wife, talked to his first wife at lunch, and you know who was on the other side. And and then William James. All you hear is um, about certain uh, modes of psychology from him, but he studied mediumship. And so mm. I thought, how come? They didn't teach us this because it's paranormal and they don't want to have anything to do with it in psychology. So then I just started reading and going to different classes about Jung and um, William James and was really interested in this history that we have in psychology that nobody really pays attention to. James and his wife lost a toddler child, a son. And so Mrs. James went to mediums to find out where her child was and, you know, asked her husband to come with her. And then William James got his favorite medium, uh, Lenora Piper. I don't know if you know about her, but Mm -hmm. he called her his white crow because she was so good and um, she was over 85% accurate. And he and his colleagues and some from Britain, uh, spiritualists, um, studied her for over 25 years. I mean, how long do you have to study a woman, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, checked her mail, did all this stuff. And then... And then William James says, theres I don't know what it is, but there's something to this mediumship. And of course, we go back to the vagus nerve, or at least I do, because that is the highway in the body. And you have spiritual centers, which are called chakras. And the chakras are invisible, and it's just ro- uh, rotating energy. And so for a medium that I've, I've interviewed, quite a few mediums, and they tell me that right around the head, Uh, They get information. That's where it's easiest for a spirit to give you information right here around the amygdala. And, um, and, And the vagus nerve is important in getting intuition and in getting those thoughts from the other side. So I just, I kept doing this. And then I had people coming to me in chronic grief. And, you know, sometimes this wonderful therapy that I do, which is usually pretty good, the person stays in chronic grief because they have so much guilt about you know somebody who died and i was this is my favorite story about that i had a husband who after about nine months he had uh his wife had had a heart attack you know right on the kitchen floor was not she had not been sick or anything and that's the hardest uh grief to handle because you're not at all prepared and then he had two children he had to take care of and he had no idea how to do that So anyway, he was in this grief and in this grief and uh, my therapy wasn't working with him. And so I suggested that he go to a medium. I I need for you to know where your wife is. And um, I can't predict that she's going to come in if you go to a medium. But he lost his parents a year ago and he lost an aunt and uncle 18 months before. I said, you've got so many people over there on the other side that somebody's going to come in if you go to a medium. Um, So he went. When he came back, he he was so relaxed. I couldn't believe it. They all came in, and they all talked through the medium. and um, And the wife said it wasn't his fault. It, you know, her heart was faulty and all that. And um, that and then told him w- which child we should start to work with. And uh, it was wonderful. And then he says to me, "But I'm not going back." I said, "I don't want you to go back. You now know where your wife is and where your relatives are, right? Right." Okay, that's all I wanted you to know. That connection with your loved ones is there if you ever want to go back and talk to a medium. And one of the things I hope you asked the medium to ask your loved ones was how do they want you to keep in touch with them, you know, after the medium visit? Because I think that's important. Like will they be coming through, you know, on songs? Will will they, you know, do you have to be by their grave to hear them? You know, get some instruction. Uh, so that they can be a part of your life.
0: Hmm. Interesting. We're talking with uh, Karen Hurick, and Karen E. Hurick is the website we will be linked to. Uh, We're talking, of course, about uh, the latest work that she has uh, that we encourage you to to get a copy of uh, because uh, I think that it would help to enlighten you as well. It is entitled Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. Developing a Richer Appreciation for Life Through Spiritual Experience. And you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. Karen Herrick, uh, Herrick is my guest. Karen E. Herrick is the website. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And Karen, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, some of these other aspects. Um, uh, I've been through uh, uh, LBL, or Life Between Lives, from through Dr. Newton. Uh, not through him, but I've read his books. And okay. uh, I've been through a practitioner locally. Fascinating experience, I do have to say. As a matter of fact, it was fascinating listening to those studies of his. Um, yes. Did uh, d- do you think that uh, uh, the work that you are doing now is is uh, um, a sort of an I don't want to say an offshoot per se, but it's sort of like th- th- there's there's nothing, nothing nothing comes out of a vacuum. Yes. So. So you've got you've got uh, Dr. Newton, and you have someone before him, and maybe Edgar Casey, and and again, and yes. so on, and so on, and so forth. Uh, so you and others like you are sort of the next generation, or the next uh, uh, the next uh, uh, level, if you will, in this process of understanding the soul. And one of the things that I have noticed, if you will, is that. The And I use this term, the religious, not the spiritual community, but the religious community is more focused right now. And I worked for 15 years back in the 80s and 90s for a Christian station. But even today is more focused on the material world than on the spiritual world. They're more concerned about what happens here on uh, planet Earth than on what happens on And I use this term because I can't think of any other uh, what happens on the other side, even though there is no other side. It's, you know, what what are your thoughts in that regard? Not so much in terms of that particular philosophy, but in terms of balancing our understanding of the material and uh, I don't want to say versus, but balancing the material and the spiritual or paranormal world.
1: Well, I, number one, I don't think material consumption and entertainment is enough to make a person happy. And that's what our our culture and the, what you're saying in religion is talking about, perhaps. Um, I think if your religion works for you, that's wonderful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things with Dr. Newton's book, when um, I was reading it, there was a man who was between lives and a young man. And he was telling Dr. Newton that they had given him wherever he was, they gave him a soul shower. And that soul shower was to wash away the trauma. He had had it in this life. Um, And so he could go, you know, he could be pure or not have as much trauma. And so I'm thinking to myself, if he's over on the other side, getting a soul shower, what is it in that etheric body that gets showered and Mm -hmm. when i was uh, studying the vegas then i went to lilydale which is a town of mediums up by lake erie in new york and um i'm in a little museum and there's a notebook there and i open it up i said okay if i look oh yeah nobody's looked at that in 20 years so i see this lady dying and she's she's got this cord coming from her stomach and from her neck So I'm thinking, that's the vagus nerve. And so actually it was Dr. Newton's book that got me on the spiritual path about the vagus nerve and then got me reading um, other articles that people wrote between the 1920s and the 1950s. Hmm. Um, So then what is your question after that? Well, I'm just curious as
0: to your perception of uh, how we balance our understanding of the material life and the spiritual or paranormal life because we're actually living both lives simultaneously because it's the soul that's inside yeah. the body that animates it
1: yeah, and eventually we'll leave life. it yes. our physical life is our spiritual life too mm-hmm. absolutely um, well let's see I I just believe in all these spiritual experiences that people have had and come and told me about, and I had one a long time ago or a couple. And um, I know that there is a God where I didn't know that living in my alcoholic family with my Protestant father and my Catholic mother. Um, But because of my studies and because when you start developing and reading about all these things and believing they can happen, then you start to have more intuition. And, and then people come to you with their wonderful stories. And it just improves my life. And I try to be, you know, what gets me is that um, that life review, because I, I want a nice life review. <laughs> so I try to behave myself and uh, be kind to people and, you know, uh, and, and like pray for people I think shouldn't be prayed for maybe. Um, but I try to do the right thing. And um, and I think most of my clients that come to me, they come from a traumatic alcoholic or drug addicted home. That's who I work with usually. And, um, and they have this ideal of what they want in their lives. So they're looking for something spiritual. And they say now that there's like 40% of the population um, says they are spiritual, not religious. And what I get from my clients is that you know, they follow the golden rule. They just try to do as good a life as they can do. And maybe they take little pieces from their religion. I have a client who has a rosary ring. And when she runs, she turns that rosary ring and she says the rosary. But she doesn't go to church anymore. Hmm. So, you know, whatever helps them from their religion or from what they've learned, and hopefully if they've had a near death or a spiritual experience and somebody's listening and they think they might be crazy and they're afraid to tell anybody, please find somebody... Um, that will listen. I mean, you can go on to my website and then email me and I'll be glad to try to help you find an organization near you Uh, because there are therapists and there are people that just have regular like AA meetings, only they have them for near-death people um, all over the United States or the world too. But um, because don't sit with yourself and, and fear that when you hear a voice or you hear your name called, that that means you're mentally ill because it's not true Hmm. now the difference between mental illness and spirituality is that uh, if somebody's had a spiritual experience they're humbled by it and and it it usually is there to teach them something maybe they don't know that right at that moment but if they if they go into it and think about it and read about it they will learn what that spiritual experience means for them Hmm. somebody who has mental illness has um has an arrogance about uh what they're telling you. Uh Christ talked to them and they're gonna fight and they're gonna do this. And they cannot go into the story over and over again and tell you the same story. Whereas a spiritual experience person can.
0: Yeah. It's funny too because <laughs> I would hear the the phrase that uh um uh your relationship with God, with Jesus, whichever you want to phrase, uh, it's it's a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a personal relationship with God. And they turn right around and they say, oh, by the way, and God told me to tell you. And I'm going, uh, no, he didn't, because you just said it was a personal relationship. and Ergo, God knows the number. He can call collect if it is indeed a he, because uh, I'm here. God knows where I am. So <laughs> I just found that that phrase was was very very funny. We're talking with Karen Hurick about her book, The Psychology of the Soul and Paranormal, and this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and we're talking <clears throat> about the soul, the spirit. Uh, we're talking uh, about uh, so many different things. I want to ask you about miracles. Uh, where where do miracles come from? In 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 that. I, I, let me back that up. Uh, I guess maybe first of all, what is a miracle? Is it indeed uh, something that that science cannot explain and you just have to accept that it happened?
1: So many doctors um, say that they they see miracles a lot, right mm-hmm. um, And the Catholic Church has um, studied 70. And they have 70 miracles. The, the good thing about that is you can go on their website and apparently they will explain the process to you of how they determine a miracle, which, which I think takes too long for them, but they do it. Um, okay, so I talk about the three different metaphysical realities that we have. And um, that seems to help people where you and I are talking in the sensory reality today, you know, past, present, future, uh, very materialistic world we, we're in right now. Um, so that's the world we usually live in, but people don't realize that we have other metaphysical systems that are around us. And the second one is the clairvoyant reality. And that's where you can hear a voice or you you get a lot of intuitive uh, thoughts. And with this vagus nerve, you get a lot of intuitive thoughts in the shower. Hmm. And also when you're driving and that's because in the shower, you're in standing meditation and when you're driving, you're in sitting meditation. Okay. And so those thoughts that you get, you should write them down somewhere uh, because then you, then you lose them. Yeah. Um, but that is the metaphysical system where you can hear um, different things. And you, they say that you're in the now. So the people that have the near-death experiences, they say, you know, you're in the now. You, there's no past, present or future. It's just right then. Mm. And, of course, the now has a feeling of awe and, um, uh, you know, an things that you don't really understand. Maybe somebody sees as the face of Jesus or or sees their um, deceased loved one in their bedroom, um, those kinds of things. So that's the clairvoyant reality. You can have, you know, deeply meditative states in that. Um, anything that really takes you out of the sensory world and you're happy. Uh, then there's the transpsychic world where miracles happen and that's just floating around uh, also. So we have these and both Jung and and James said this, that we have these metaphysical systems that are all around us, and that's what helps some of these things happen.
0: Hmm. I uh, consider myself a metaphysician. I was born and raised a Catholic. Um, I live next door to a family of Mormons. I have studied a wide variety of philosophies. I was a Baha'i for about a year and a half back in the 90s. My uh, metaphysical primer is the Paramahansa Yogananda's autobiography of a yogi. And um, then this program, uh, I feel like I should have a a Ph.D. in eclectic metaphysical studies uh, in some fashion. We've been doing this for 15 years, but I've been searching for seven uh, since I was 17. I'm 62 now. And I just find all of this so interesting. Uh, Karen Hurick is my guest. Uh, para, uh, Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal is her book. Uh, the website is karenehurick.com. We will be linked to it. And this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And I want to ask you, Karen, Karen Herrick, um, uh about... Uh, my mother asked me once if I had ever had any supernatural or spiritual experiences. And I could not answer in the affirmative because if I had, I was not aware that they were spiritual. They were just normal to me. Again, I'm not putting myself up on a pedestal here. Just like Jesus in his life, when he performed his miracles, when he did his stuff, walking on the water and changing water into wine, that wasn't unusual to him. That's That was just him. So how do we differentiate between a spiritual experience versus a, uh, versus a, um, uh, 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 what you term here, um, and I like, I'm glad you phrased it this way, a mental health issue. Not a disorder, yeah. but an issue. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. Um. Well, I think, number one, I think Jesus was a medium Mm -hmm. and that he had clairvoyant abilities. And I think if you read the Bible with that thought, you can see a lot of clairvoyant abilities that come through. Um, But a clairvoyant or a a spiritual um, experience to me is that people have maybe an experience with a transcendent being or force that has nothing to do with their religion um, so maybe they see an angel, um maybe you know, a wind comes into them. um just their head and their heart know that something unusual has happened to them, and it has made a difference in what they believe. Mm. now maybe they're confused about what they believe because they don't have uh, you know, any training, but they the more they can read and and try to understand like you have and I have with all the things that I have read, um we come down oh that's what it was. oh there. I like that characteristic, you know and um and so you when you have these experiences you you can't forget. you want to know where they come from. You want to know more about them at least I did yeah and and so do people that come to me. like I had a client who uh, as he was leaving he came to me for relationship problems. he's leaving one day we call this the doorknob issue. And he said, oh, you know, sometimes I leave my body at night and I don't, I'm afraid I can't get back in. And so I, I thought, hmm, what do I do with this? <laughs> so anyway, I said, how do you usually get back in? He says, well, I just think about it and then I'm back in. And that's how you get back into your body if you ever find yourself out of it. Uh, um, I said, oh, okay, well, we can talk about that next week or next two weeks, whatever yeah. it was. So, so I was learning about... Um, The Robert Monroe Foundation in Virginia, where you can learn how to leave your body and reading all that stuff, Eddie Casey stuff before he came back in two weeks. So, you know, when a client has this experience and you're not really sure, then you have to study about it. And then the next time you see them, well, this is what I've learned and maybe that'll help you. And he eventually did go to the um, Monroe uh, Institute in Virginia and he took training and how to leave his body so that he felt more comfortable. Hmm. I've,
0: I've also read Edgar Casey's works too it was fascinating uh that here was a man who was in when he when in his body a Christian uh, a fundamentalist evangelical Christian and yet there he was laying on the couch channeling and you're going what where and and I even uh, I had a, a gentleman on the program who actually, uh, elicited, if you will, or induced out-of-body experiences. He did it intentionally, and he was a born-again, fundamentalist, evangelical Christian. And so I asked him within the context of the interview, where in the Bible do you find uh, the, the permission, so to speak, uh, to do this? He says, nowhere. And, uh, and I said, and yet you still do it? He says, yeah and I says have you ever wanted to stay out not not come back says, oh no no I've always wanted to come back you know just because you know not out of fear or anything and I thought and those kinds of experiences with with people of these set belief systems that I've had the opportunity to talk with when they share these what we'll call unusual uh, manifestations I'm going oh my god there's there is hope for the world these people are living their lives and not allowing their experiences uh, or or I should say the criticisms of their experiences to stop them. I've never said to someone who shared an experience like that, say, oh, no, because th- uh, that's not that. No, no, that can't be. Because when you start doing that kind of thing, uh, Karen, I've noticed you undermine that individual's fate, for starters. And there's a prohibition to that. In the Bible, you're not to do that. You're not to undermine someone's faith, right. um, you know, by by flaunting yours in front of them. You don't want to eat meat, Karen, but I can't sit here and eat meat in front of you because I'm flaunting my faith in front of you because you don't believe that that's. So I find that really interesting um, in terms of these experiences. <clears throat> what about our intuition and following it would, would you classify that under the category of uh, a a spiritual experience where you're listening and then following the promptings?
1: Yes. Yes, I would. Um, and I think the more you get into spiritual experiences and, and, you know, talking about the soul, um, the deeper your intuition becomes because, um, I'm working with a medium right now in England and she, um, she has uh, if she, I ask her a question or somebody asks her a question and uh, she'll um, she'll uh, put on some music, uh, but it's shuffle. So she'll say shuffle the music. And she believes that the spirits are picking the music. And then she, the words she gets from the song, she can answer your question with that. And I thought, you know, if more people knew about this method that she's using, um, more people would um, develop their intuition more because. Um, I had a client, he was Jewish and um, just culturally Jewish. He was not religious. Mm -hmm. And I had him for two or three years. And um, he came with his wife and uh, he was a Wall Street guy. So he drank a lot and and, um, commuted. And Anyway, he came in with his wife on Saturday morning. Well, one Saturday, and I I kept saying, um, I just asked them about their uh, religious training in childhood and what do you do now or nothing or what do you believe? So I always know what they believe and then I'll I'll point out, well, this could be a spiritual experience. This could be um, uh, a gift, something that's coming to you. Anyway, he comes in Saturday morning, he's 10 minutes late and he goes, "Boy, do I have a story for you. You are just going to love this." <laughs> and so I said, "Really? What? What?" So he says, "Well." I said, "And and and where's where's your wife?" "Oh, she's not coming. We had a fight." "Okay." So anyway, starts the talk. And he said, "So I'm in the car and I'm talking to God." Now that's new, <laughs> never <laughs> talked to God before. So anyway, and I'm saying, how come? Why me? Um, why? God, I work hard. I commute. I just gave her a brand new kitchen and she's not happy. I don't get it, God. What is it going to take to make her happy? And the song comes on the car radio. And I think it was the Beatles. Everything, All you. all you ever need is love. And um, so I wasn't familiar with the song. And he goes, well, I'll I'll have to send you the, the I said, send me the lyrics. I said, this is wonderful. And he said, that's right. That's what we need. We need love. And I said, you're correct. Now, how are we going to do that? Right. But Hmm. I mean, you just, it's just so wonderful to see people unfold like that.
0: Oh, yeah. That is very cool. Reverend Karen E. Hurick, Ph.D., L.C.S.W., L.M.S.W., C.A.D.C., A.M.F., H.P. I think you left out X, Y, and Z. Uh, You uh, have your master's degree from Rutgers University in social work, Ph.D. at Union Union Institute of Union Institute and University, and you're the founder of the Children for Uh, I'm sorry, the Center for Children of Alcoholics. And you've also shared your uh, clinical uh, expertise for 30 years in private practice uh, by lecturing on uh, dysfunctional, addictive homes, uh, uh, disassociation, as well as grief and loss. That's an area that uh, I wish we had time to go into, but uh, we want to have you back to talk more about this. You've also written three other books. Uh, as I've mentioned before, you're not finished yet, which discusses the need for a new type of therapist that goes beyond the addiction to help people with uh, their uh, with their spiritual experience. By the way, I um, I heard a very interesting phrase, turn of phrase, when it came to this issue of addiction of any kind, uh, but let's just say of uh, drug and alcohol. Sobriety is not the opposite of addiction. Connection is the opposite of addiction because people feel disconnected. And so they use these outside elements to connect with. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, yeah, because in, you know, as the addiction gets worse and worse, they isolate and then the whole family isolates. And then we're all, you know, in this mess. Um, mm. So yes, and that's why a twelve-step uh, meeting is so important, because you go out and, um, and you know, you just, as Bill Wilson would say, you have you have one mouth and two ears. Use them accordingly in the beginning of your sobriety, um, and then they connect, and um, that's what they need. Yeah. And to hear other people's stories, which re- you know, sometimes they can um, really relate to that that they. They were as bad as this person, and nobody's pushing them out of the meeting. Hmm.
0: Well, I find this fascinating. I hope that you folks do, too, as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And Karen Hurick is my guest. KarenEHurick.com is the website. Um, uh, she is a reverend. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I got an email from the— uh, I think it was, it's the uh, Universalist Church online, you know, where you can become a reverend. I got an email last year saying, congratulations on your 10-year anniversary as a reverend. And I'm going, oh, yeah, I forgot I signed up for that. (laughs) (laughs) So technically, I'm a reverend, too. They call me Dr. D, so Reverend Dr. D. uh, But uh, Karen... um, this has been a fascinating conversation. I would love to continue this, especially with your other two books and your dealing with children and and uh, and how you help them to to cope with and how we help all of us to cope with grief and loss, which is another subject I'd like to talk about. So, uh, would you would you uh, come back?
1: Oh, we'd love to come back. This has been fun.
0: Great. Well, we'll set it up. And uh, before I let you go, I have three final questions that I ask all of my guests. The first of which. Uh, I will ask you after I tell you and thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help uh, make your dreams come true, we're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday morning at 1 a.m. and Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. with our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at RichardDugan.com and we podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And you can see us on YouTube. That's right, there's a video where you can watch the video cast right on YouTube and the channel is Tell Me Your Story and Richard Dugan. And uh, we also ask that uh, if you can, support the work that we're doing here financially, we would greatly appreciate that. PayPal, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And we have a link on the homepage where you can click to uh, support us financially. We ask that if you can take time out of your busy schedule, I know it's busy, to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision. What is it? It's where we ask you to take time going within Having a supernatural or spiritual experience, going within and listening to that still small voice and then following the promptings. I think, Karen, you would agree with me that that still small voice will never put you in harm's way. May challenge you, but it will never put you in harm's way.
1: That's right. It's important to listen. Yeah.
0: Well, with all of that said, Karen, we ask these three final questions. We've been asking these questions or something along those lines for the last 15 years that we've been doing this program. And here we are in 2023. We have one new one in there. You don't know the other uh, questions. So the first one that's always been a part of it is, who
1: is Karen Hurick?" Who am I? Oh, I'm a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, a therapist, um, a fun person who likes museums, and um and i have a pretty happy life second question is what is your life's purpose oh well right now my life per my life's purpose is to get this message out that you have a vagus nerve and that it's going to help you be more intuitive and help you leave your physical body but for all the other years it was to Be able to overcome being raised in an alcoholic and traumatic home, and then be able to help people with that knowledge.
0: And finally, what was your best day?
1: One of my best days, I'll just do that, um, is um, being in New York City in a museum and having lunch, going early, having lunch, and then walking around till five o'clock. And just taking it all in. I love that.
0: Well, Karen, I want to thank you again for joining us and sharing your story as well as the work that you are doing. And we are going to have you back because I do want to talk about this issue of lo- grief and loss in particular, especially when it uh, comes to dealing with our soul uh, and the paranormal. A psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal is uh, the title of her latest work. And again, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of
0: fun. And thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal. And Jeanette, I'm still listening.